time of confession and a time of proclamation. What a gift that is as a church to take time in our service to confess our sin before a holy and just God who knows not only what we do on the outside but knows us on the inside and who has covered us in grace to confess and to proclaim. To confess and to proclaim. Israel was to be God's chosen nation, a people called to confess and proclaim. To confess and to proclaim. In the book of Malachi, we airdrop into a situation in which Israel has rebuilt the walls. The walls have not protected them from idolatry. They've reached into their hearts and their lives. The men again have pursued against God's word foreign wives and the gods and the pagan gods that they offer. Though the walls were there, they could not protect them. They've dishonored who God has called them to be as God's chosen people. They have ceased to be a confessing and proclaiming people of the greatness and glory of God. And it's this that we see a hard-heartedness but the Lord will expose in these first five verses that reflects their denial of God's love, which in reality, as we'll see, is a denial of God's character. It's a denial of God's word. As he tells them, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy in our text this morning as well, but if you go to the book of Malachi, we're going to begin in verse 1, because that's when you begin a book, that's where you begin. Chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to note in this text, and we're going to pray, and as Stephen prayed for us a moment ago, that the Lord would give us ears to hear, that we would listen actively, and that as we begin this, the next eight weeks through the book of Malachi, that we would come to the text every morning with willing hearts, with hearts that desire to be tenderized, softened, because that's what the Holy Spirit, He does through His Word. God's will for your life. We ask that question, what's God's will for my life? Well, listen, God's will for your life is that your heart would be tender and soft to Him. That you would be a confessing and proclaiming person of the greatness and glories of God. That's who Israel is to be, but Israel has forgotten who they are to be. Their hearts have become hardened. and God reveals that by bringing Him His Word. This morning, we're going to note three observations of a hardened heart. Three observations of a hardened heart and pray that the Spirit of God would use this word, this burdensome word, to likewise soften our hearts today some 2,400 plus years later. Next week, we're going to look at Israel's leaders, the priests. We're going to know what happens when religious leaders, when leaders in the faith find their hearts becoming hardened as well. The impact, I hope, will be great in our lives as He gives us softer and softer hearts, counterintuitively by a hard and good word. So let's begin, as we note first and foremost, that the Lord by His word will expose His people's hardening hearts. The Lord by His word, He will expose His people's hardening hearts, just like light in a dark room. Verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, most prophetic books begin by referencing the king who's ruling in Israel, but there is no king in Israel. They've come back and there's only a governor, but even though there's no king in Israel, God still has a people, Israel, and he still has a message for Israel that he will bring to them. 
The lack of a king will not stop God from giving a message to his people. Any more than when we see Paul speak to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 10. He tells them, how will they hear unless there's a preacher who goes? And part of the great commission that God gives us now is those who've been grafted in by faith in Christ, who've been brought salvation, we're called to go to be proclaimers of the glory of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We go and we proclaim to, to all people the forgiveness and the hope that's in Him. Israel's to be a confessing and proclaiming people, but they are no longer proclaiming the greatness of God. And the Lord gives them Malachi, who gives them an oracle, literally a burdensome word, a heavy load. He comes to give Israel, not a message against Israel, but a message to Israel. He gives them a heavy word, a burdensome word. The New King James translates it just like that, the burden of of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. There can be a reflex in our lives, I know there is in mine, when somebody shares something with you that you don't want to hear. A hard truth where instinctively you can recoil. Whereas in James we're told, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When I hear hard truths that may expose a hardening of my heart or a sin in my life, my instinct is the opposite. I want to be slow to listen, slow to speak and are quick to speak and quick to become angry and so it is with the message that the lord gives to his people israel through his prophet malachi he is giving a burdensome word an oracle that will be a heavy word for his people but the word is not against his people the word is given in love for his people an application for us as we begin the very first verse of this text is to realize, as the Scriptures say in Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend. How much more so then is the Word of the Lord, the Spirit-breathed Word of the Lord for every one of us. How faithful and good is the Word of the Lord even when the Word is hard to hear, even when it may feel burdensome at first. Oh, by the grace and the kindness of the Lord and the, and the moving and power of the person of the Spirit, He might tenderize our hearts with burdensome words. What a kind act of the Lord to do in our lives. The, the book of Hebrews gives this same reflection. Look over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 in the Pewback Bible, that's page 1002. In your Bible, that's page 1097. That's not true. I have no idea what page it is in your Bible. That'd be amazing. If that's right, would you tell me? Because that'd be incredible. But page 1002 in the Pewback Bible, the book of Hebrews is this marvelous giant sermon. And the preacher warns the Hebrew Christian congregation of the responsibility to receive the truth with a willful spirit, with ears that desire to hear, with the word open to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. And look how the Lord does the same idea. In, in Malachi 1.1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel, by Malachi, this, this, this burden of the word that the Lord brings them to soften their hearts, to expose their hearts. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. Look what the author does here as well. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes from Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, listen, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, sending Caleb into the land and all those things. Verse 9, 
where your father put where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years therefore i was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts they have no, they have not known my ways as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living god but verse 13 do what exhort one another exhort one another that's to look at our life and help each other see through the lens of god's word the heavy word exhort this is what we ought to do this is who we ought to be this is who the god calls us to be and when our lives don't measure up we're exhorted to do and live how the lord would have us to live so verse 13 but exhort one another so not to have a hard heart, but exhort one another that we may have a soft heart every day as long as it's called today. And guess what today is called? It's today. So this, here we go. This is, applies for us right here. I thought that would be received a lot better than it was. But he says in verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Israel, though they have a wall, has been hardened by sin. And their hardened hearts need a burdensome word to break it, like a hard stone needs a hammer. That's how we pray that the Lord, by His Spirit, would likewise work in our lives and our hearts. If you have children, this ought to mark the prayer for your children. Lord, give them soft hearts by Your Word. We can't change our child's heart. You can't change your neighbor's heart. You can't change your spouse's heart. But you, by grace, can pray for them, and you can expose them, exhort them in the goodness of the Word of God, who is in the business of softening hardened hearts. If you don't believe that, you and I are evidence of that. The Lord, by His Word, will expose hearts, and by God's grace in our own life, we might take the burdensome load and the heavy message that may take us aback at first and soften our hearts. So look what God says to Israel. He jumps very truly, to the heart of the matter, as we notice, secondly, that hardening hearts tend to forget the Lord's freedom to work in His history. Hardening hearts tend to forget the Lord's freedom to work in His history. Israel, as we'll see, they're forgetful in at least two senses at the very beginning in this introduction to Malachi. Introductory verses. We see first that Forgetting the Lord's gracious decision to lovingly choose a weak people for His own possession and glory. Hardening hearts tend to forget the Lord's freedom to work in His story. This is all about Him. History and life, your life and my life is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about my family. It's about the glory of the Lord. The Word of God is about the Lord and His goodness and His grace. The hope and the freedom we have in Christ to be a confessing and proclaiming people. That's good news. But when our hearts harden, we forget the truth of history. Israel forgets who they are called to be. They forget their history. Verse 2, look what the Lord says. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, speaking for Israel, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. 
The Lord has chosen and loves Israel with an unconditional type of love. This unconditional choosing love that God has shown to Jacob. His name becomes Israel and he becomes his descendants become Israel. Unconditional love does not mean we do not care about what the person does. God's unconditional choosing love is actually the opposite. It's God's unconditional choosing love for Israel that demands that he care how they live. We know that as, as, as friends and family. You have friends that you love deeply and unconditionally. You have family members that you love deeply and unconditionally. It's because you love them. It's not that you're disconnected or apathetic about the choices that they make in their life, but the opposite. Because you love them, you want good for them. So here's the question. What is good for us? What is good for us is that we would be a confessing and proclaiming people of the glory of God. What's good for Israel is that they would be a confessing people, proclaiming the greatness of God, a people for his own possession. That's their history. That's who they're called to be, and they forget this message. So let's go into this. Let's very clearly, there's a difference between God's love and worldly love. Remember I said an oracle, a burdensome word? Here is a burdensome word. There is a difference between godly love and worldly love. It's choosing affection that the Lord graciously shows upon Israel. We'll read in Deuteronomy 7 in just a moment. But godly love is different than worldly love. Israel has redefined the word love like the world redefines the word love. And the world defines love like this. You are the compass for your life. Therefore, you are the ultimate. So what you want to do, what would feel good or pleasurable or natural for you to do, or what your gut tells you to do, that's what's good for you. Therefore, if someone loves you, they must champion what you want to do. Does that make sense? In our worldly, corrupted definition of love, to hate then would be what? To speak a word of exhortation to them. To tell them, no, 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 don't do that. That's hate in the world's definition of love. And this isn't new. It's consuming our culture a whole hook, line, sinker, but it's nothing new. It's what Israel began to believe. Israel began to mirror the nations they were called to be a light to. And so they practiced the same things the nations did. They, they worshipped the same gods of the, of the nations. They didn't worship Yahweh. They, they married just like the nations and divorced just like the nations, and their life were just all over the place just like the nations, or even worse. They believed in the world's definition of love, and it leads them when God says, I have loved you, that they respond instinctively, how? How have you loved us, God? Look at how we're experiencing heartache. You don't even receive our worship. We'll see that claim soon. And you say you love us? If you love us, you'd receive our worship, but you don't receive our worship. No, it's because God loves with a godly love that he demands that they live for his glory. 
So to truly love someone, to truly love someone, to truly love ourselves, isn't to chase after our life's dreams and goals as we set them. To truly love ourselves is to say, no, God, you are the ultimate. And I'm called to live for your glory and your good. And my good, what's good for me isn't my heart. My life is not my compass. You're the compass. Your word is truth. And I must set my heart and affections by your word. And what will happen in this world and what you know happens in this world is automatically the people of God and the nations are at war. You and I are automatically always going to be against the world because our definition of love is fundamentally different. And if we don't realize this, we ourselves will allow love to be redefined to mean champion someone's wants and desires and feelings. And we will do just like what Israel does. We will say, completely forgetting the Word of God, we'll forget who we're called to be, and we'll say, God, how have you loved us? How have you loved me? I'm not happy. How have you loved me? This happened in my life. How have you loved me? I don't want to do that, or I want to do something else. Therefore, I'm going to do something else. If you loved me, I wouldn't struggle with this. And the definition of the world's counterfeit love has already begun to blossom in our hearts. You see the danger. So we come to God's Word and we say, God, you know what's best. Exhort me and tenderize me by your Word. I want to rest in your love. And I know what is good for me is to walk under your Lordship. What is good for me and true for me is what your word says is good for me and true for me, regardless of my feelings, regardless of the culture. This is what was truly good. You are truly good for me. And that's what Israel does. Look over to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. They're hardening hearts. They've forgotten the Lord's freedom to work in His story. They've forgotten the Lord's gracious decision to lovingly choose a weak people for His own possession and glory. We'll look at Deuteronomy 7, and we'll go ahead and read that all the way through verse 11 instead of stop at verse 8. Pewback Bible, that's page 152. Israel's hardening hearts have led them to forgot, to forget their history and God's freedom to interact in his story. Verse 6, speaking of Israel. For you, God says, are a whole are holy, a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest or weakest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers 
that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate Him by destroying them. He will not be slack with, with one who hates Him, he will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you to do. Israel's forgotten their history. They've bought the counterfeit version of love and presumed the Lord must desire what we want to do must be good for us. They forgot they were called to be his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God has chosen Israel. They did not initiate pursuit of Him. He pursued them while they were weak and few. Jacob, I loved. They were to be a distinct people proclaiming His glory and therein blessing the nations by his faith, their faithfulness and fruitfulness. Alike to the nations, obedient to Yahweh, to live for His glory. Yes, they built the walls, but they could not rebuild their hearts. Tender hearts. Tender hearts. We, by faith in Christ, today, have been grafted into Israel. And that we have experienced salvation by faith in Christ, the Messiah who would come through the nation of Israel. It's in Him we have hope. It's in Him we have forgiveness of sins. And it's in Him we're called to be a people who boast in the Lord. That now is your history. We should wear that with more pride than we do even the Texas flag. That one might have been too offensive. I should definitely have not have said that. What do you boast in? Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What do you boast in? What do I boast in? The people of Christ are to be marked by a boasting in Christ. The people of Christ are to be marked by a boasting in Christ. And this is to be the basic lens of discipleship in our life. Do I boast in Christ? Do I long to most boast in Christ? Or do I most boast in X, Y, or Z? I'm to boast in Christ more than everything that I have. And I'm to boast in Christ in everything that I have. That's our call, to boast in Christ above everything we have and everything that we have to boast in Christ. So I'm to boast more in Christ than I am the fact I'm, I'm a married father or pastor. But I ought to boast in Christ in my marriage in my relationship with my son, in my friendship with my neighbors, and in pastoring, not to boast in Christ more than all of those things. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice the similarity of the church. Paul says similarly that we are a people known as those who boast in the Lord. Verse 23, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Listen to this, verse 30. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are to be a people who confess and proclaim the glories of God. That's who we are, a confessing, proclaiming people. If you're married, that's God's will for your marriage. If you're single, that's God's will for your life. Confessing and proclaiming the glory of God to boast in the Lord above all these things. And Israel has forgotten her purpose. She has forgotten her history of who she's called to be. It's because she's loved, she's called to live as a people who boast in Yahweh. If you know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, your purpose is to boast in Christ to live for His glory, to be and make disciples. That's our purpose. So hardening hearts tend to forget the Lord's freedom to work in His story. We notice first, forgetting the Lord's gracious decision to lovingly choose a weak people for His own possession and glory. And secondly, forgetting the ongoing witness of the futility of the hard-hearted who stubbornly work against the word of the Lord for their own glory. Before we read this, verse 3 and 4, this can be a shocking text if you're not too familiar with the story of Scripture. So before we read this, I'm going to keep a reminder in our minds. Jacob I loved. Israel was to be a distinct people for his own glory and purpose, a treasured possession different from the nations. Yet Esau, Jacob I loved, we're going to see Esau I hated. Esau would have descendants called Edomites. And even though the word of God is clear as day, Jacob I chose, loved. Edomites who heard the word of God, who know that Jacob is the one who was chosen, they will still try to make a nation and name for themselves, and they'll root themselves in, around southern Israel. And they will be a thorn in Israel's side, but a small thorn. For the Lord has not, been, not chosen Esau or the Edomites. And he has, and he will, and he completely destroyed the Edomites. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And Israel's experience a sense of envy of looking at the other nations. And Israel's not thriving, but other nations seem to be doing pretty good. Has God really loved us? Has He really chosen us? The Edomites work in their own strength, even though the Word of God is as clear as day. Jacob I loved, verse 3, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country. Whereas Israel's land would be flowing with milk and honey, their land will be the, the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. We don't know the story of Scripture. If we rip Jacob and Esau out of their context, we might make numerous false assumptions. And a text like this make, might make us really uncomfortable. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. 
A couple of false assumptions will make this text very uncomfortable. If you assume that Esau was a good and holy, righteous, sinless man, this is going to be a really awkward text. But he was not. Esau was a sinner who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. This text will become really awkward for you if you think that God hates in the same way that we often hate. When our hatred is often driven by covetousness and bitterness and vengeance. The Lord is perfect and stable, not led by emotions in that way at all. He's the perfect ultimate being, never growing in knowledge. Perfect in all His ways, in the fullness of all His attributes. No, we do not rip God's hatred of Esau outside of the picture of loving Jacob. The consequences that come from Esau descendants, the Edomites, a hard-hearted people that rage against Israel and desire to build a kingdom on their own against the word of the Lord. What does Ruth do as a Moabite? By God's grace, she comes and she becomes in the line of the Messiah. She becomes an Israelite. The Edomites would have no part of Jacob. They would desire no part with Israel. They would desire a nation for their own glory and their own people. And the Lord's hatred was set against them. Everything they desired to do, the Lord would crush and bring judgment upon. A discovery was made this past month. <clears throat> There's a journal article published about it. I won't spend much time talking about it. You can Google it and find it pretty quickly. Don't do it now, though. I'm watching you. Right. But an article was found on the Edomites as a people. The Tel Aviv University and the University of California did an archaeological dig in southern Israel and found all this information on these copper mines that the Edomites would have used. And they speculate that the Edomites then would have been like the Silicon Valley of that area. Would have seemed to be like a flourishing place, but they would be destroyed by the Nabianites historically. Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. When our hearts are hardening, listen, when our hearts are hardening, we can make the mistake of coveting those who are not his. We can covet ways of life that the Lord does not have for us just like Israel is doing. So number one, the Lord by his word will expose his people's hardening hearts. Number two, hardening hearts tend to forget the Lord's freedom to work in his story. And number three, the Lord might use this to tenderize our hearts. Confession and proclamation are evidences of God's loving favor in freeing his people of their hardening hearts. Confession and proclamation. Confession and proclamation. They are evidences of God's loving favor in freeing his people of their hardening hearts. Just as today, if you proclaim the glories of God, if you confess and repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ, if you've already done that, it's a part of your life. You're calling to confess him and proclaim his glory. That is evidences of the Lord's gracious, saving love upon your life. That should mark us with a serious mark of humility. A serious mark of humility. For we are a people of grace. A people of grace. Grace. When's the last time you thought about grace? That's the name of our church. Surely we're experts in grace. But if I can be honest with you this morning, I forget about grace a lot. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Sproul and others are quick to argue. The shocking part at first is Esau I hated, but the most shocking part of that statement is Jacob I loved. 
Jacob and Esau were both sinners dead in sin. Rebels against the holy God. But God lavished unearned favor upon Jacob by which we are recipients and rewarded of that grace, that favor that God has shown us. We have forgiveness of sins. That God didn't look at us and say, you're, you're so smart or your resume is so great. Your ability, your skill, or your skin color, your background makes you special. The opposite. Grace is unearned favor. It marks in our lives a humility before God. And so what leads us to celebrate is that we are a confessing, proclaiming people of the glory and greatness of God. That's who we're called to be. That's who Israel was supposed to be. That's who one day she will be. And we look at our own lives and we say, when we, when we gather together in the privilege of gathering together as a local church, we proclaim the glories of God. We enter as sinners and we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And this is unbelievable news. It means nothing that we look in the life when we compare ourselves to other people and feel better about ourselves or we compare ourselves and we feel worse. None of that merited God's grace. How do you know you've received God's grace? You confess and you proclaim the greatness of God and your proclamation is evidence of God's grace in your life. And we're called to be proclaimers of the greatness of God through all the ends of the earth. You and I didn't figure that out or earn that on our own. We're recipients of grace. It humbles and tenders the heart in a way nothing else will. Does my life reflect that I'm a recipient of grace or does it reflect as though I think I've earned it? Confession and proclamation are evidences of God's loving favor and freeing His people of their hardening hearts. Verse 5, the very beginning. Confessing what? Their inaccurate point of view. Verse 5, the very first portion, your own eyes shall see this. Though Israel began in verse 2, when God says, I have loved you with this choosing, electing love, what is Israel's response? How have you loved us? And what's God tell Israel? Your own eyes shall see this. Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. I keep my promises. My character, my word is good. What he's telling Israel is that reflective question, how have you loved us, will be shown and you'll see it's wrong with your own eyes. You will confess, I was wrong. You are right. You are good and you are God. You're worthy of our lives. Forgive us. Confession. Confession marks the life of the Christian. What an opportunity God has given us by allowing us to live in 2019 in this political climate. Don't view it as a burden. View it as a blessing and an opportunity for the church to look unbelievably contrasted to a world that when they sin, when they lie, when they deceive, is marked by denial and deflection. If you don't believe it, watch three and a half seconds of the news. All everything is, right? Denial and deflection, everything possible. Denial and deflection. Denial and deflection. Denial and... But what's the church marked to be by? To be marked by? Confession. Oh, the world is marked by deny and deflect. But the church 
is to be marked by confession. Confession of sin. Confession of our need for grace. Confession and proclamation. Let the world continue to grow in a hardening of the goodness of the church and the disciple-making church become ever more clear of, of a distinct light of a confessing, proclaiming people for the glory of God. Confessing their inaccurate point of view in verse 5, proclaiming the greatness of the Lord. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Israel's hearts will be softened. They will see with their own eyes. They will realize the foolishness of their denial. And they will say, Great is the Lord. Great is Yahweh beyond the border of Israel. This is to be the mark of the people of God, a confessing and proclaiming people, trusting in the promises of God, exhorting and being exhorted in the way of the Lord for our life, for His glory, for He is supreme and ultimate, and we are not. And every day as a Christian, we have the opportunity to confess that. Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. As John the Baptist would say as he comes on the scene soon, I must decrease, you must increase. That's the call of the Christian. Confessing and proclaiming the greatness of God. The message to the, to the world, you, like us, have something to confess. But the proclamation of the good news for the world is that you, like us, can proclaim and abide in a Savior who can forgive the depths of your sins and lead your life for His glory. Confession and proclamation. Next steps. Next steps. When my heart begins to harden, I will find ways to avoid His Word. We see this in Israel again and again and again. The people just completely forget the Word of God. They completely forget the Pentateuch. They forget everything. They don't even know where the scrolls are. They forget the law. And I think if we're honest, we would see it in our own lives as well. When my heart begins to get hardened, I will avoid the Word of the Lord. Or I will turn the Word of the Lord into a purely academic study. And avoid the Lord even in His Word. So if I know that's true in my life, and it's true in our lives as believers in Christ, that when my heart begins to harden, I'll find ways to avoid the Word. How should this tendency impact my commitment to gather with my church family to sit under the Word? How will this impact that? Now, we can't change someone else's hearts. But we can exhort them in the word of the Lord. I can't change my children's heart as they age. You parents know that. I can't change my spouse's heart. My spouse can't change my heart. I can't change my neighbor's hearts. But I can present to them, confess and proclaim the glories and the greatness of the Lord. I can do my best to get them in a position and I know I need the Word of God preached in my life to sit under His Word. We need that in our lives as believers. If you have believers in your life that are not connected to a Bible teaching church, what does that mean for your life? To have them sit under the Word that by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, He might soften and tenderize their hearts as well. That's my, it's a privilege from God to confess and proclaim His greatness. So here's my question to you, finally. Will I ask the Lord for open eyes and a soft heart that's quick to proclaim the greatness of to others this week. And the practical challenge, in addition to reading the book of Malachi this week, 
The additional challenge is this. Will you remember, you can set an alarm on your phone, but will you remember in the morning, as your morning starts this week, as my morning starts this week, would you ask the Lord, you say, Spirit of God, would you show me opportunities to proclaim your greatness this today? Spirit of God, will you show me opportunities to proclaim your greatness today through my day? And be obedient as he leads. A confessing and what people? Proclaiming people. A what? A confessing and a... Let's stand together as we proclaim the greatness of the Lord through song.